Man, I'm really excited about this morning. This past Monday at 3 o'clock, uh, one of my really close friends laid in a casket right here. And there's over a 1,000 people at his funeral, 31 people born again in this church at Carl's funeral. That's pretty awesome. 31 people born again. You know, it's strange. Uh, many of us in here have lost someone really close to you. Some of you lost your spouses. Well, none of us escape it. It's something really weird that happens is uh, when you're walking with God, you actually feel more connected to him walking through something like this. You, you know, does anyone know what I mean? I am, I'm so full of joy. You're so full of joy. I mean, we, we, so many of us go through it. I cannot imagine what it's going to be like for all of us just to be there together one day. There's not going to be like denominational quadrants in heaven. I'll say this, if you don't like to dance, you're going to learn to dance there. I know that. Just being honest. Today's Memorial Day. If you're a veteran in here, I know that obviously Memorial Day is for those who have fallen. But if you're a veteran, I just want to honor you as well. Can you just stand up if you don't mind? I'm going to speak a blessing over our country. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Let's, uh, let's do this. Let's pray for our country right now. Let's do that. Father, we thank you for this country. We thank you for the principles it was founded upon. We thank you for you. Holy Spirit, I just say, come, come to America. Holy Spirit, we need you here in America. Lord Jesus, you're the king over America, and just Bridgeway plays its part today, Father, just by joining so many other uh, places that worship around you. We just join them and say, we bless the United States of America in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a men's breakfast coming up on June the 10th. Gary Wilson's going to be speaking at that. He found out last week. Uh, you don't have to sign up. Just show up. Tim Deming will cook enough eggs for a bunch of people. And uh, I, I love the difference around here in women's ministry and men's ministry. Women's ministry is like they're teams that plan. For men, we just get bacon, eggs. Told Gary last night he's speaking. He's like, all right, that's pretty cool. So we'll see about 150 men right over here, and we'll uh, fellowship together. <clears throat> I want, uh, she's going to hate this, but I'm going to ask my wife to stand up. Yes, you. I only, only have one. Wendy and I celebrated 20-year anniversary this week right here. We had our, I had my kids come to the kitchen. And it's really interesting. I don't think about the enemy much, but... Uh, we prayed on our 20-year anniversary, and I said, you know, young kids are so literal. Jack had to ask interpretation on this. But I said, we're just going to stick this right in the enemy's face. 20 years together, there's something about legacy. There's something about just uh, hanging in there together. And uh, I, I just, I'm going to pray for this house, that this would be a, a marital perseverance house, that we would just shove it in the enemy's face. You know, in the name of Jesus, may this be a house where marriages go the distance. May they go the distance in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 20 years. That's a long time. Wendy just said, yes, it is. It has been my pleasure to mentor her for 20 
My pleasure. You know what I love to do at Chick-fil-A is to say my pleasure before they can say my pleasure to you. I'm in the mood to have a little fun this morning. Next time you go to Chick-fil-A, it really makes Wendy nervous. Say my pleasure before they can, and it, it stops them in their tracks. I'm going to have uh, six my pleasure nuggets. My, my. Um, I don't think anyone in here has written out a plan for you to destroy your life. If you have, we can talk later. I mean, I, I, I've got a therapist. It'd be good for you. I've got a few, actually, over the years. No one sits down to say, all right, here's a plan to destroy my life and goes to leadership schools and how to navigate pain. Uh, it seems kind of funny. Most people would say, well, I've never had a plan to destroy my life. But yet very few people have a spiritual plan to grow in your relationship with the Father. Uh, usually it's just like, well, I'll just <clears throat> hope it happens, you know, or just, just God, just, I don't know. We, I know he's an artist, but he's also very calculated. And God's a planner, and he's very systematic. And when's the last time you developed a plan for, let's say, four months to say, all right, this is what I am going to step into to grow in my relationship with the Father? My marriage is in the best place it's ever been, and it's not by osmosis or the sovereignty of God. And I feel the anointing coming on. It's so fun when that happens. I just, I'm calm on the outside, but on the inside, I just, just get so excited. I, I love revelation. You guys want some revelation? I just love it. I love it. And then what else matters? Just revelation on, on how God is wired. He, he really, it astounds the father of the message of sovereignty because it keeps us from growing because we leave too much on his end. You talk about triggering the religious spirit. That, I mean, that right there, what I just said. Well, whatever God wants, that's what I'll get. You can't prove that in the New Testament. 18 times Jesus Christ says, let it be done to you as you believe. And so I've just decided in 2017, I sense that 2017 is a year of extreme favor, not on me, on the body of Christ itself. And so I've decided that a kite can't fly unless you get it up in the air. I want my kite to get way up in the air. And I've just decided from June 1st to November the 1st, I have developed a methodical plan of what I'm going to do uh, to grow in my relationship with the Father. Wendy and I have started doing things in our own marriage and started seeing each other the way the Father sees us and actually practicing some things. And wouldn't you know it, it just kind of works. You don't eat carbs, your belly shrinks. God decided to move. God didn't move anywhere. You stopped eating bread and you got skinnier. It's that simple. Five years from now, you will be who you will become as a result of two things. The books you read and the people you hang around. You ever notice how people who are offended, they always attract other offended people? And they don't spin it as gossip. I had a dream about this last night. They just want to process. But they attract other people who are offended. You ever notice that people at the table of deep friendship with God tend to attract other friends of God? Like minds, like spirits always attract. And so the books that you read and the people you hang around will have a large say in who you become. So I've decided there's seven books that uh, I'm going to read from June 1st to November 1st. And I feel like I'm supposed to share them with you in case you want to read along with me. And uh, one is Compelled by Love by Heidi Baker. This will be the fifth time I've read it. 
God says I need about 15 to get started with this book. Compelled by Love with Heidi Baker. Prophetic Wisdom by Graham Cook. Approaching the Heart of Prophecy by Graham Cook. And there's another title that's too long. It's just, he has a trilogy of books on the prophetic by Graham Cook. God's Secrets by Sean Bowles. I read that this past week. It's fantastic. Uh, Translating God by Sean Bowles. And uh, God's Secrets Workbook. Develop a plan to grow in your relationship with the Father. And I want to say this before I jump into two whole passages of Scripture this morning. Most people think that going after God is more like the uh, the ride Fury at Carowinds. And I love Fury. I like kind of being scared. I love it, but I hate it. You know what I mean? But I'll be honest with you. I, the older I get and the more I walk with God, you tend to grow deeper and has more roots when you think of your going after him more in a lazy river than Fury. The turtle always wins the race even when it comes to the father. You'd rather plot along and still be going after him 60, 70 years than to just work more in your own strength and striving than actually just relenting and relaxing back into him. Actually, in this season, there's a grace on this house. Going after God looks more like leaning back in him. That sounds so simple. There's so much meat on that. So Psalm 91.1, those who dwell, the word dwells to lean back, to lay down on. If I really, 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 really need to hear God really clear on something, I didn't realize I was doing it, but I find that I actually lay down on my back and start talking to him. It's an outward posture of an inward reality. Jesse and all the other worship leaders around here, if you notice, they teach a lot on postures. I think that that posture is not talked about enough, not just in musical worship, but just in growing with God. Picture yourself in just a lazy river. A lot of us can be more serious and stern than he is. Seriousness is not through the Spirit. If you're not careful, you're only listening to people who are just real serious and they just look like they're just, they're just going after God. I'm just going after God. God wants you to enjoy him. He created you to bless him, for him to bless you. And, and can I say this? He's not, a, he's not a very uptight person. He's a very relaxed person. He is the most secure person in himself I have ever met in my life. He doesn't kind of go up and down. He's just good. In the midst of death, he's good. And we're going to talk about this morning. Exodus 33, I'm going to read a lot of Scripture. And I want to start off by this. You've heard me say it a thousand times. I'll say it until I'm done here, I guess. Whatever you think about when you think about the Father, will tell you everything about your life. If you're a person that walks an offense, it's an indicator you don't know him yet. Now, he knows you and he loves you, but you don't know him. Because whatever you think about when you think about God, it's impossible to walk an offense. It's very difficult to walk in bitterness, to keep a record of wrongs, to be a mean person. When you, when you have correct thoughts about him, the natural outpouring of that is for me to project on other people what I think about the Father. Jesus came to put a face on Abba. We're here to put a face on Jesus. I know that worshiping him in extravagant ways is awesome, but who am I when no one else sees me or when I'm around other people? Do I put a face on Jesus to other people? 
So the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Does that, is, is that who people say that I am? And what I'm saying is, if I'm not there, there's always one place to start. What do I think about when I think about him? Because it's impossible to project on the other people a God I'm not connected with. If you are suspicious of most people most of the time, you don't know the Father yet. Because when you trust Him and you are deep in Him, it doesn't really matter other people's motives in my life. There is a place in God you can get lost where you just become Teflon. We see this in the life of Jesus. They ended up killing Him. They tried to kill Him from His birth. But yet joy was His strength. My joy should be just exploding even in the midst of when breakthrough is not happening. It is, it is an awesome thing. Jonathan Edwards says it's a terrible thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. It's an awesome thing to fall into the hands of a loving, tender father that you find all your identity in him. And even if you take your last breath, you don't even care because you're going to be with him anyway. I mean, I mean think about this. No demon in hell can take this from you. No addiction, no past divorce, no brokenness. Nothing can take away when you get to the place where father, where you're looking at him eyeball to eyeball, and he's looking at you, and he says, I like you, and you say, I like you. I like you too. It's one thing to theologically believe that he loves you, but it's another thing to live in the constant presence that he really likes you. I don't really want to go after God anymore. I just want to walk with him. This sounds simple. I'm telling you all, you all need to listen. This is, you know, just a little bit of a difference in thinking. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. He's looking at Bridgeway for a bunch of friends. It's one thing to go after God. It's another thing to co-labor with Him. Blow your mind to say, Father, what's on your mind today? And Him say, what's on your mind? You know, we reach for, we actually want to find our identity in other people, leaders, friends, even a spouse. We make an idol out of a spouse. All He's trying to do is get us to a place where we find everything in Him. Where you can go on a silent retreat for 10 days and it be a time of extroverted talking because you just don't stop talking to Him. He's so real. I had a moment praying over someone a couple of days ago, and I never get tired of the prophetic because I'm like, you just know everybody. You love everybody. You want to bless everybody. He created you to bless you. That goes over well. Let me repeat that. I didn't stutter. He created you to bless you, and he wants you to bless others. And so if I think correctly about him and I'm in love with him, I ought to leave whoever I'm with in a better place, not because I'm brilliant, but because they can smell his cologne that he wears. Remember what they said about uh, Peter and those guys? They're uneducated. When he was talking about this the other day, they're uneducated, but there's one thing I do know. They were with him. My dad, he'll probably be here at 11 o'clock. My dad is the most brute 33 man you've ever met in your life. (laughs) <laughs> to this day. He's not an iPhone man. It's it's unbelievable. My dad cannot get to places. Like he has to take Sam to a golf tournament. And I say, Dad, I say, listen to me. You're going to push a button right there on your phone. He has a smartphone. And tell it the address. And he won't do it. He's not going to go to Macy's and get uh, uh, Ralph Lauren or some of these other exotic perfumes with these weird commercials. He's going to go to Walmart and get Brute 33. And he wears so much of it. When he walks into my house, I can smell him before I see him. 
Recently, I was with him. I'm 44 years old. He didn't cuddle me like a little toddler. I was with him. That night, I smell my clothes. I smell like Brute 33. Just get Abba 33 all over you. So-and-so hurt my feelings. So-and-so looked at me wrong. And so-and-so gossip about it. You you ought to just be so intoxicated with this fragrance that you just get to where you can't even hear it anymore. Jesus, Jesus was a Teflon man. All right, I got a lot of... Nothing could get to him. He'd sneak away from people. All right, Exodus 33. Here it goes. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. All right, I'm just going to go for it here. If God gives you a promise, I don't care what the natural says. If he gives you a promise, hang on to it because he's going to do it. It may not be on your timeline. It may not be when you want it to happen. But when, you know, faith is going beyond my five senses. Many of you in here, he's showing me right now, he's giving you prophetic word that hasn't come to pass. It just hasn't come to pass on your timeline. In his mind, it already has come to pass. You've got to sink teeth down into what he says. He told them they're going to the promised land. And it didn't look like it. Even in their disobedience, they delayed it. But it's still going to come to pass. Just hang on to that promise. I love this right here because God is just so powerful. Watch this. I will send an angel before you. All right, I love this. An angel. Everyone say an angel. You're talking about 10 million people going into a promised land with enemies everywhere. And he sends one angel. I'm going to be blunt. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm the happiest I've been in a long time, but I'm just going to be a little blunt. That's the way my grandfather was. That's the way I am. Quit being so charismatic. You think you have to call down billions of angels. He needed one angel to get the Israelites in the promised land. You probably need some junior varsity, not even had any experience angel, and you're going to be fine. Can I have some water? I love this. Can I have one that hadn't been open? There's no water left in there. Don't y'all wish you could pastor a church and work out your marriage issues in front of everybody? Think about this now. Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. Get a smaller view of the devil in your mind and get a much bigger view of God. I I love this. I love this. Trinity's thinking, all right, it's time. Moses broke the tablets. It's time. Uh, Send an angel. An angel. We're talking about millions of people in trouble everywhere. Just send one. Now, I'll tell you this. uh, That one's probably Michael. He's all you need. A couple of things to look for here. I think it's really ridiculous to focus on angels, and I think it's as stupid or more to not believe in the angelic. Your breakthrough in your life will not come upon your degrees or even your own intercession or your own striving. It will come upon you partnering with the angelic. Do you know the angelic partners in your life with words that come out of your mouth from your heart? Your words are so powerful, you actually can shut the angelic down in your life because they are actually repulsed by unbelief, slander, and gossip. They're actually attracted to heaven's culture. Wouldn't you love for this church in the spirit to be known as heaven's culture? That's why I pray for John 17 more than anything. You can ask the staff all the time. Father, bless this house with unity. The angelic is drawn to unity. So believe in the angelic. Ask the Father to open your eyes to the angelic and then just get out of the way. Angels are bored in lots of churches. 
I don't want them to be bored here. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. I love that. The Father in His goodness is always leading us to a land flowing in milk and honey. Be careful of any theology that teaches you otherwise. What sounds deeply spiritual could be greatly demonic in your life. The enemy realized he couldn't defeat the church, so he just joined it, and he has this such demonic stuff going on to where, yes, I do believe in suffering, but he'll try to convince you that God's trying to lead you to uh, razor blades and and just a, a slow death. No, he's trying to lead you to milk and honey, a rest in him. He loves pleasure. He loves happiness. He loves joy. Typically, the people that preach against happiness are not happy. But I will not go with you because you're a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. Now, this is kind of funny, actually, right here. So, I know you know this, but Moses says, hang on, wait a minute. So when the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you're stiff-necked people, and if I were to go with you even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. If you've never been happier about Jesus Christ, get revelation on this passage and just say, Lord Jesus, thank you that his wrath was poured out on you. Stiff-necked. So it says, uh, now take off your ornaments. I'll decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Oreb. Now they're like pouting and they're really sad. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp and some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. And anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, how many times are they going to say that word? The pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. But whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing in the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. If you're a Joshua pursuing a Moses in your life, be careful because you're next. I'm being facetious. You hang around a great man of God, don't be surprised when God just pulls you to be the one that actually brings your, whatever your sphere of influence is into the promised land. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, I love this. It, they just talk like friends. Uh, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you'll send with me. You've said, I know you by name and found favor with me. Well, if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Gosh, what a powerful prayer. Ask the Father every day. Teach me. I want to know your ways. I want to continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. I love that. Uh, Father, this is your people, not mine. I didn't ask for this. I was in a desert, bush catches on fire, and now you're telling me you're not going to... Hang on. That's not what you promised. Then the Lord replied, my presence will go with you. You're right, Moses. I'll give you rest. Then Moses said to him, well, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? You could give me a beach house, a lake house, billions of dollars, influence, this and that, and wealth. But if his presence is not with me, I don't want any of it. Is there nothing like when you know the presence of God is with you? Do you know when it's the most powerful is when you're going through a really tough season or a really tough day or maybe even the worst moment of your life? but you sense that he's right there with you. I love the story of Joseph. Joseph continued to have favor because what? God was with him. God was with him. God was with him. You came into the world naked with nothing. You're going to leave with nothing. The only thing you need on this earth is just him. You want to know why I love the prophetic? I love prophesying over people I've never met because it's just another indicator that you're with me. 
How did I know that person's name? You're with me. You care about that person. I love the prophetic for as much as it ministers to me than what someone else is receiving from what I'm saying to them. Because all I want is him. There ought to be something inside of you that just says, I just want you. I just want you. Because when you find him, it's just great. Your spouse cannot fix your life. Your job can't. Connecting with that person that you think you need to connect with somebody, they can't. Oh, but he can. He, he is awesome. Is he not just awesome? He is awesome. I like what Moses says. I, I don't want to go to the promised land unless you're going. You know, you can be a billionaire and stay humble because the billionaire that knows not a dime came from his or her own competency knows it came from him. You, you can be humble and, and have tremendous amount of influence. You don't have to be dirt poor with nothing to remain humble. You, you can have it all and still be humble if you have revelation that it's only because of his presence. It's because of him. It's his favor. Moses can't lead them into the promised land. And Moses knew that. I love what Moses says. And we're about to get into the good part of what I want to say. He just can't help himself. And he says, show me your glory. And the Lord said, watch this, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. Think about what he didn't say here. He doesn't say sovereignty, majesty, power, goodness. I'm going to make this so simple you can't misunderstand it. The goal of your life ought to be to grow from revelation to revelation of his goodness. And that be the paradigm you see everything through. A casket season, a breakthrough season. And I'm not talking about you doing this in community. I mean, just for you, when you really believe that he's good, watch how everything in your life changes. Most people view God through their circumstances. It takes a real man and a real woman to view God through revelation in the scriptures. He says, I'm going to make my goodness pass before you. When Adam and Eve had a mishap and they messed up, first thing he does, he cannot help himself. He makes garments for them. You want to know why? That's just who he is. To the degree in which I lock into that revelation is to the degree in which it flows into my life, to which the prosperity of heaven flows into my life and in my relationships. It destroys critical spirit. It destroys orphan spirit. It destroys poverty thinking. When you truly believe that he's good, it kind of makes you want to be a little bit happy. You ought to carry joy. You ought to be a walking party. Why would anyone want what you carry if you don't carry these things? Do people call you good? Do people say, hey, that person's good? I can't project onto anyone, onto a community, onto a church, into a business, onto my kids. I can't project onto anyone that, something I don't carry. Maybe it's not an a extrovert, introvert, Myers-Briggs, Enneagram test thing. Maybe it's not the way we were wired for our parents. Maybe some people just get to such a place with God that it's like, phew, whether I live, die, it rains, sleet, sunshine, I don't care. He's just good and I can't stop praising him. I can't stop. It just, it, it's like a, a, he's too much. Paul figured it out. Go down here, verse 34, and we're going to talk about the first time that God Almighty prophesies over himself. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. I love that. Grace is so real, but so is truth. 
God reminds Moses, and you're the ones that broke those tablets. There's some humor in here. I love it. Jesus is full of grace, but he's also full of truth. The, the father gets him to the promised land. He forgives Moses, but he reminds Moses what he did. I think it's just hysterical to me when I saw it that way. Hey, bring those tablets that uh, you broke. Verse 4, so Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones, went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands, and the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him, proclaimed his name, the Lord. All right, do you notice that? Do you notice the song we opened up with this morning, just enter his thanks, enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise? There's a principle that I have stumbled upon recently in my life, and it's right here. Even God himself praises his own name. Enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise. Let me make this simple. This is like a children's lesson. You want to see breakthrough in your life? It's not going to come until you learn the principle. But before anything, before breakthrough in anything, the key is just praising his name. And you're just awesome, God. You're awesome, God. It's the highest form of spiritual warfare. Gratitude and praising his name clears out such of the demonic that there's nothing left for you to intercede for. You ever see those big icebreaker boats? They literally can just go through ice. That's what happens to us and our spirit man when we just learn a lifestyle of, you are good, you are good, you're just awesome. And you're not doing it for manipulation. You're doing it because you really believe it. Demons hate it. The demonic hates it. Please listen to me. They hate it when you praise his name. He praises his own name. Look at this. He's the only person that can do this and it not be narcissistic. Um, Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. This this morning I said, Father, what's on your mind? And I heard three times, Shema, Shema, Shema. And I said, what? And I looked it up. Shema is a Jewish tradition where it's like our Lord's Prayer, and it's in Deuteronomy, where it just proclaims the name of how great his own name is. It's in Deuteronomy. You can go study it later. This is an ancient... This, this goes before the foundations of the earth. The angels are still doing it around the throne. They've been doing it forever. There's something powerful about it. You are awesome. You are awesome. You are awesome in this place, mighty God. You are awesome. You're awesome in my marriage. You want to know why? It's complete selflessness. It's not you focused. It's just you are good. You are awesome. My wife carries this thing in her life. She, she just knows. She has revelation that God's just awesome. She's awesome. If you notice in our worship ministry around here, we have so many God-centric songs. You're just awesome. If you could see in the Spirit what happens when you praise His name, you do it more. I'm blessing myself. Are y'all listening? I'm... I was at Regent University back in November, and I was just sitting on a, um, on a bench by myself overlooking this pond. It's like a Norman Rockwell moment. And I just sat there, and I just, I really meant it. I said, you are awesome. And I, I don't know what it was. I felt a punch in my stomach, and I started crying. I don't know if angels punch you. I don't know what's going on, but I said, you are awesome. And I was like, oh, by myself, just like, you're awesome. You're awesome. Heaven just, it, the whole thing is set up upon him. He's the hero of every story. He's the hero of your narrative. He's the hero of your life. He made you. He's bringing you home. He made all this. Glory to God. Some of you in here, he's showing me that you fear your own death. What are you afraid of? You're going home when you die. 
He holds heaven in his hand. He holds this in his hand. You take your last breath. It's not even your last breath. This is just a tent. It's temporary. I can't wait to see him. If one of y'all go before me, do not stand between me and that throne. Pastor Chad, this and that, I'll come back. Just I'm making a beeline. And this is the first time he prophesies over himself. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, faithfulness, maintaining love to thousand, forgiving wickedness. The first thing out of his mouth he prophesies about himself is awesome. What do you think about when you think about him? You know, quit building a library of doubt on your inexperiences. Some of you are scared to death to engage community because every community you've been in has fell apart. So what you've done is you're actually agreeing with the demonic realm and you're trying to sound really spiritual, but you're agreeing with the demonic realm and you're just saying, that's just not for me. That's just not for me. And then we judge other people of why communities fall apart. Listen, just get out of that realm of thinking and, and look at how, how he is. He's compassionate, he's gracious, he's slow to anger, he's abounding in love. If you're friends with him, then you should be those things. So that even if the community you're in right now falls apart, you're not going to fall apart because you are these things. Am I making sense? It sounds so spiritual to isolate myself and, and meditate upon his principles, but these things don't play out in my interpersonal relationships. This should play out in my marriage, with my children, in my community. Am I these things? What do I think about when I think about God? The closer I get to the table of intimacy with him, I ought to act this way. It ought to be second nature. My middle name in the spirit ought to be Mr. Forgiveness, Mr. Selfless. All morning, I'm hearing in my spirit that song by Lionel Richie, Easy Like Sunday Morning. He, that's just the way he is. Lazy River. You ought to just be a... You know how on a hot summer day, it's getting, you can feel the humidity yesterday, that demonic haze, you know what I'm talking about? And you go into the convenience store and you get that Gatorade, that G2, or that regular Gatorade with 700 grams of sugar in it, and you get a water or whatever, and you're so hot and you just drink it. That's the way the Father is. You just meditate upon His goodness. Let me, how much time do I have? Okay, I, I want to spend some time on something. Can we go to Matthew 4.17 real quick? I just wanted to show you that because that's the first time he ever prophesies over himself. In Matthew 4, 17, it's the first thing out of the mouth of Jesus. We might ought to pay attention to that and the last thing out of his mouth. The first thing out of his mouth is from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, it says near, NIV. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The word repent in Greek is metanoia. It means change the way you think. But here's what I'm saying. Even in metanoia, you can never get to the end of it. You can spend all eternity, and don't be surprised when you do this even in heaven. You're not going to heaven, it's going to be like finished. We're just getting started. God's so big, you can't get to the end of it. There's levels of renewing my mind to who he is. So when's the last time, metanoia, when's the last time you've taken Exodus 34 and just said, all right, I'm going to spend four months just on this one passage. Just, just four months, and I'm going to take these words, I'm going to put it on my note cards. You're compassionate. You're gracious, slow to anger. You're abounding in love and faithfulness. What happens is to the degree in which I meditate and I renew my mind to the true nature of God, to the degree in which I do that, 
is to the degree in which I look around and all of a sudden I have an oak tree where other people can come find shelter up under it. I, I want to say this just so clearly. There is a direct correlation to you being a powerhouse related to your ability to continue to metanoia on the true nature of God. And I personally believe that 95% of evangelical Christians don't have a whole lot of revelation on at that Exodus 34. If he's truly all we need, we should fall apart a lot less. There should be a lot more joy in my life. I love what he says in Zacchaeus. Calls him by name. Hey, come down. I'm going to go to your house tonight. Zacchaeus had an interaction, an encounter with the goodness of God. Jesus came to put a face on Abba. What did Jesus do in this moment with Zacchaeus? He doesn't call him out for his sin. He doesn't condemn him. He calls him by name. It's very personal. And he goes to Zacchaeus' house. He doesn't invite him to another house. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to step into your house. Jesus is very aware that all the money that Zacchaeus got from people he shouldn't have gotten in the way in which he did provided for him the house, which he had. And Jesus said, I'll go to your house. Jesus steps into our mess, doesn't condemn us for it, calls us by name, invites us into a place of intimacy, which is the house. And then Zacchaeus has an encounter with the goodness of God. Jesus never told him to give the money back. The encounter with goodness made Zacchaeus want to be good. Man, you better hear me. He has an encounter with goodness and he becomes good. If we're not good, maybe it's because we're not encountering goodness. When you're encountering goodness, the Father can open your eyes prophetically to see where someone's not, but instead of judging him of where they're not, you see him for where they can be. The Father has promised me that I'm going to get what I want in the prophetic. And he says it's going to come with zero critical spirit in you, zero. So I'm going to show you things about people, and then I'm going to test you, Chad, to see if you can love them the way I love them and lead them, even lead yourself, Chad, to where I already see you. We, we want to say, Zacchaeus, you don't deserve to go to the house. You're vain, you're rich, you're whatever. You shouldn't climb up the tree. That's inappropriate. Jesus doesn't see it that way. Hey, Zacchaeus, me? Yeah? Come down, I'm going to go to your house. I just want to be around you. Jesus was called a drunkard and a glutton. He loved to hang around the broken. He's so secure in himself. God loved to bring goodness into brokenness. Perhaps he's created you to bring shalom into chaos. That's what Jesus does. He steps into brokenness and heals it. That's, that's what we're here for. We're not here to build community groups for 15 years so we can feel more secure in who we are. It's seasonal community groups so we can grow into the image that God's created us to be and then step out and bring wholeness to brokenness. But you can't bring wholeness to brokenness if you're still broken. And the way you get whole is not by somebody just imparting something to you. It's just continuing to meditate and metanoia on his goodness. There's something that happens when you know you're growing with God. You don't just seek community to um, heal up your own wounds. You look for people that actually need you. Man, that is like, that's really flowing right there. God is looking for you to be a Zacchaeus. Once the Lord comes to your house, he's not going to stay there. 
Holy Spirit will stay there, but Jesus is always looking to move on. Why? Because he commands us in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples. He loves to get us into a place for our own identity and send us out. Scatter, 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 scatter. So I'll close with this. The father came to Adam and Eve and he makes garments. He says, I'm good. Jesus comes to put a face on Abba. We have come to put a face on Jesus. And I can't put a face on Jesus to a world in an effective way, the way he deems worthy, if I'm not connected to him the way that he was connected to the Father. How do I get there? You just meditate upon his nature. You stop seeing restaurants as a place to go eat lunch, and you start seeing them as an opportunity to bless somebody. Carl's funeral last week before Roy gave the invitation. I thought a lot about my own legacy, and what because I'm going to be there at some point. What do I want people to say about me? This thing isn't complicated. He built deep friendship with God. He helped me do the same. Because in the end, that's all you got. All this is going back in the box. He's good in heaven. He's good on earth. The enemy's trying to convince you he's not good. You dig in there for yourself and you go after him. Let's stand up. I'm going to speak a blessing over us. I'll ask our prayer servants to come forward. We'd love to pray for some people today. If you need a greater revelation on the goodness of God, like desperately bad, will you just raise your hand and we'll pray for you right now. In the name of Jesus Christ, may you have more of a revelation on the goodness of God this week than you have in the last 10 years. I release the angelic into this church. Father, I thank you that our breakthroughs come from your assistance and not our own competency. I bless this church with the prosperity of heaven itself, with revelation. Would you please help us in this summer to grow in revelation? In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer for anything this morning, please come get prayer. God bless. Have a great week.